Have you ever, um, you ever had that friend who can just do things? Like they're just good at it, you know, that friend, the one that has never played basketball but can just step back and start draining threes. It's March Madness time, you know. Or that person who can pick up a guitar, they can just play the guitar. They've never played before, but it's like they can just pick it up and they can just do it. Or they take a pencil and paper and they look at a tree and they can just draw the tree and it looks like real life, not like my tree. My tree's like a line, a line with the little thinking bubble, you know, that's like my tree. And, uh, but you've got friends who can just like, they've never taken an art class in their life, but they can just draw, you know, they can do it. They can watch someone break dance and then they can just like do the robot. Like this is my robot. This is as close as I got. But like there's people who can like, they watch it and they're like, oh no, no, I can do that. Like how hard can it be to do the robot? You know, and they just bust it out and they, they you know what I'm talking about, right? They pick up a piece of wood and a knife and they just start to whittle. And then like they whittle in Michigan, right? Knife, wood. Mm. They, do they? Is that a thing here? Okay, you guys are like not in unison on this. Like some people are going, yeah, and some people are going, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, when you take wood and you take a knife and you do this and like all of a sudden people who can do it, it's like, oh, look, a bald eagle, you know, and it's like they can just do it. And you're like, who taught you how to do that? And they're going, I don't know, I can just do it. You see, when Jesus came in the first century, there were groups like that. You had the Pharisees and you had the scribes, right? And they They could just do it. They were so good at being religious. But let me slow down and explain religious. Religious doesn't mean when you go to church and you say, I want my heart to align with God's. And so I'm really working hard on bringing myself into alignment with the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm going to go pray on the street corners at the top of my voice with big lofty words and make everyone so impressed with me. These guys were great at being religious. They were great at following the rules so that they looked holy. Their hearts were far from the Lord, right? Hearts were far from the Lord, but externally they were doing all of the right things. They were so good at doing the stuff. So today we're going to be talking about prayer. And these guys were great externally externally at prayer, but Jesus is going to teach that their hearts were far off. I want you to answer a question. Just answer in your heart. Don't do a raise of hands. But yeah, don't, don't raise your hand. Just answer in your heart. Have you, ever, have you ever had that friend? And you look at them and you're like, man, I wish I could pray like you. Because you know how to use all the church words, and you know how to memorize all of the scripture and say all that stuff, and it just seems like it rolls off your tongue so easily. Like, but for me, I'm not like that. Maybe you've thought this before. For me, I'm not like that. In fact, one time I tried to pray, so I said those words to God, and I pulled the lever hoping I would get what I wanted, and, and I didn't. The reality is I didn't. The reality is things got worse. I still lost the job. That person did not get better. The financial thing did not work out like I wanted to. So maybe for you, that's when you stop praying. Maybe for you, you're here at church today, but your heart, your heart's nowhere near here. You've really struggled with church since that thing happened. Here's what I love about today. Jesus looks at those experiences that you've had, and he says, I want to speak directly into the heart of what you've experienced. You see, I think sometimes we watch people around us, and we go, you're doing the robot. I wish I could do the robot, but like with prayer, I wish I could just do this thing. I think that all of us, all of us in here, we have a desire that says we want to know how to pray. 
We want to get the tumblers aligned just right so that the lock releases. Like all of, we want our prayers not to hit the ceiling and come right back down. We want our prayers to reach heaven, don't we? We want our prayers to be the kind of prayers where we can look at this mountain and say, go throw yourself into the sea, and the mountains in our lives move. We want to have prayers of power, and what I love is that's exactly what Jesus is going to teach us Today, if you're here for the first time, I am Billy. I'm your campus pastor here, and uh, we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Take your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We've been in this series where we're looking at how Jesus called the first 12 disciples, and he said, I want you to come and to follow me. But they didn't know what exactly that meant. They left their homes, their friends, their family, and they went to follow Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. They went up on a mountainside, and it was surrounded with people, it just people all over this mountainside. Jesus sat down, pulled his disciples close, and he started to teach them. And today, he's going to cover what we call the Lord's Prayer. Did anyone like me, did anyone memorize it when you're a little boy, little girl? Like you... Oh, man, a lot of hands. (laughs) A whole bunch of hands just went up. You're like, yeah. And so you know what it's like. You know, our Father, our Lord, heaven, how be that in the kingdom come? There will be done in heaven. And you just get this rhythm. And so we we sometimes, maybe you never did this, but I absolutely did this. I've prayed this before as a little boy in just this vague way. Like, I don't even know why I'm saying it. I'm just going to regurgitate it as quickly as I can to get through it um, because a guy at the church was... I had done some things I wasn't supposed to, and he said, but if you go say this three times, like, it's going to be cool with God. And so I would get through it quick as I could, you know, because I had things I wanted to go do. That's, that's just how I would do it. And so I would say this prayer in a very vague way, and yet what we're going to see from the teaching of Jesus, one, this was never intended to be a memorized prayer. That was not the intent. And two, it's a very specific prayer. It's not a vague prayer at all. It speaks right to the heart of the matter. Now, back to this memorized part. We know that the intent wasn't to be memorized. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches again on prayer in the book of Luke, but the words are different. So church, there's a problem. Like, we can't look at Jesus and say, Jesus, this is the Lord's Prayer. You should have memorized it, buddy. Like, you shortcutted it in Luke, and you didn't say the right words. You messed up your own. Like, he didn't mess up his own prayer. He's teaching us how we are supposed to pray, which brings us to the big idea. Transforming prayer starts with transformed prayers. Let me break that down real fast because that's kind of wordy right there, right? If you want to have prayers that are prayers of power, it starts with you being transformed. It's from the inside out. You want to see the kind of prayers in your life where mountains moved. It's going to start inside you. In fact, there's going to be three ways that Jesus shows through this Lord's Prayer that we're going to move this direction. And it starts by moving from me-centered prayers to God-centered prayers, from me-centered to God-centered. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, and I just need to call a timeout. Pray then like this, which means, in light of everything I just said, in, in light of everything I just taught you, here's how you should pray. Well, what did he teach us? Here's what he taught us. There's these guys, the, the Pharisees, There's these guys, the scribes, and they're hypocrites. They're good at looking the church part. They're good at following the rules, but their hearts are far away from the Lord, right? And so he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray at the top of your lung on street corner to be seen by men. He says, get alone. 
shut the door. Pray to your father who's unseen. So it's like based on that, based on what I just told you then, here is how you should pray. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus gives us the words that we're supposed to say. And he says, start like this, our Father in heaven. If you've been counting how many times Jesus has used this phrase, this is the ninth time that he's used the phrase in Matthew so far, our Father. The ninth time. There are 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount that he will use that phrase, our Father. And there's like 40 all throughout the book of Matthew, our Father. But think about to these 12 Jewish guys what this would have sounded like. You see, the name of God was so holy, they wouldn't have even written the name, church, right? You know this. They wouldn't have written all of the letters to the name Jehovah because that name is holy. So they wouldn't have even written the name. And here Jesus is sitting on this hillside and he says, so here's how you start. You're going to start by saying, Abba, Dad, Daddy, Father. That's how you're going to start. What do, you, what do you think of? What do you picture when you pray? You see, some of you, I think some of you picture like a, a void, like there's just like blackness, and God is just somewhere out there listening. He's like this absent God who's just kind of listening and picking up on all the radio signals coming through. For some of you, that's what you picture. For some of you, you picture Gandalf, right? Like old guy, white beard, ZZ Top style, you know, that's what you're picturing in your head. Some of you, it's going to be Morgan Freeman or George Burns or whoever's played uh, God in Hollywood, right? And so we, we have all these pictures, but here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I want you to have an appropriate picture of who God is. He's your heavenly father. He's Abba. He, he's dad. I don't know what you've been picturing, but you need to picture Dad. That's who God is. And he said, but once you have that, once you have that, you need to start to move on to your name is hallowed. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. Pure is your name. Majestic, mighty is your name. Tell God who he is. And maybe you're going, why would I do that? Like, God knows. Like, why would I need to tell God who he is? Well, I'm married to Amy. You guys know this. This summer will be 25 years. And I keep repeating that so I don't forget. <laughs> 25 years of marriage. I like her. That's what I've decided. Like, I like her. I love her. I think she's pretty to look at. And I've told her all that stuff before. Like, I have. I've told her before. Like, gee, hon, I like you. You know? So I, I told her. And here's the funny thing about Amy. She doesn't get tired of hearing that. She doesn't get tired of hearing I love you. She doesn't get tired of hearing I love being married to you. I love being your husband. She doesn't get tired of hearing that. So daily, I work daily to make sure that she hears this. This is important for her to hear. She needs to hear me say that. That's how our relationship with God should be. It's not like, well, God, I've told you before that you're holy and you're good, so you should be good now. Like, no. God never gets tired of hearing us as his kids go to him and acknowledge who he is. And so this is something that you're not used to doing. Here's the challenge I want you to accept this week. I want you to go to the book of Psalms this week. Just spend the whole week in Psalms. And I want you to start to read through the Psalms. And as you do, go to your journal and just start to write down every attribute of God. He is a strong tower. He is a refuge. He is holy. 
He is our Savior and our Redeemer. Just write down all the descriptions of God. Go through the whole Old Testament if you have to. You're going to be going, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name, right? Just write down all these descriptions of who God is, right? And then in your prayer life, Jesus says, if you want to know how to pray, this is how you pray. Stop. Acknowledge who you're talking to. Just spend some time telling him who he is. It's going to take discipline, though isn't it? Because for so many, what we do is we say, there's this stuff, Lord, pressing down on me. I want to get to the stuff. Like, I want to get down to the, I need some help. My loved ones need help. I need you to act in a way that only you can. We want to get to that stuff. But Jesus says, before you get to any of that, slow down. This is awesome. Slow down. Acknowledge who you're talking to, your heavenly Father. Tell him who he is. And then Jesus says, uh, you move from to whom you're praying and you start to get this priority thing. You say, Lord, there are some things pressing down, but whatever the answer is, before I even ask, I want you to know I'm okay with it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, there's this cancer thing before I get to that, whether you answer yes, I trust you. If you answer no, I trust you. If I don't hear an answer, I, I trust you, which is hard, isn't it? It's hard. In fact, I think sometimes we want to be okay, but we're not yet. Like, we're not at that place of saying, Lord, if you answer no, I'm cool with it. Sometimes you're like, nope, I'm not really cool with it. Like, Lord, I need you to step up on my behalf, and this is what I'm asking for, and I want to be very specific. Sometimes we're not at that place of being okay with it, but I just want you to think about how this is taking your prayer life, and it literally is taking your heart and your head, and it's dumping it upside down, isn't it? Just to say, I, I'm telling you what, church, if you just stop in your prayer closet this week and do that, at least you're being honest now. At least you're being honest with the Lord of saying, I, I want to be okay with this financial situation. I, I'm not there yet. Spend some time in your prayer closet. Stop right there. Spend more time saying, Lord, I need my heart to be in alignment with yours. I need you to walk me through this. You see, when your faith intersects his faithfulness, that's where life change happens. Think about any time your life has been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus. It is when your faith intersects with his faithfulness. That's where the life change happens. So the first thing, you're going to move from me-centered to God-centered prayers. The next thing Jesus shows is we move from consumerism to contentment. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I've heard people come to me before and they sit down, they talk about all kinds of issues, right? We're working through all of this stuff and they normally are wanting me to pray. And so if I ask the question first, well, have you been praying about this? Guys are the worst, the worst at this one. Sometimes people will look at me, so I'm going to keep it gender neutral. Sometimes people will look at me and they'll say this. They'll say, well, I haven't prayed because God's really busy. God's just so busy, you know, he doesn't need me tugging at his ear all day long. So I haven't prayed yet. Almost like I've got a magic line to God because I'm a pastor. You know, I've got like a magic formula to pray. So they can't pray, you can't pray, but I'm allowed to pray, but you're not allowed to pray. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us the green light here. Do you see that? When it comes to our needs, Jesus says, no, you want to know how to pray? This is it. Church, we are supposed to go to him for all of our needs. And he says, let's get to the most simple form of that. Pray for your daily bread. That's not something in our culture we really understand, is it? 
our bread, I'm not even going to get into the food industry right now, but um, our bread lasts a long time, doesn't it? Like the shelf life is incredible before it gets little green corners to it, you know, like our bread lasts a long time. But there's some places, you may have been there, there's some places in the world where if you go buy bread, you better eat that bread that day because tomorrow, it's like a brick. That thing is, you will not eat it. I don't care how much you soak it in soup. You cannot eat that bread. You've got to eat it today. Well, Jesus Jesus is talking to these 12 guys, and as he's talking to these Hebrew guys, and he said, our daily bread, this would have become very, very real in their minds. The imagery would have been amazing, wouldn't it have? Because they would have thought back of how the people were set free from slavery in Egypt. You remember this story, right? Moses leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the Holy Land. Well, you have a whole caravan full of people. They can't possibly carry enough food. So they wake up one morning. They go outside, and God's provided a miracle. There's manna on the ground, bread-like substance, right? And so, of course, there's some smarty McSmarties in the group. What do they do? Well, I'm going to collect so much of this manna, I'm not going to need manna for the rest of my days. I'm going to have manna for years. I'm going to collect. Well, it rots by the next day, right? Because God's point is, trust me today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. We'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But trust that I'm going to meet those needs today. Now, most in this room, you're not in that position right now. You're not in the position of, I just have to trust that the Lord's going to provide something to eat today or I, I might starve to death. Um, most, you got enough food for today and probably enough uh, food in the fridge for tomorrow too, right? And I say most because... I'm not making light of it. There really might be people in here where you are struggling right now, and you really don't know where that food's going to come from. In fact, I've talked to some of you, and you've talked to me about how when the economy fell out in Detroit, remember that? Some of you, you were trying to leverage relationships, uh, leverage position, because you honestly did not know how ends were going to meet. You did not know where the food was going to come from. It got that scary for you. And Jesus is saying, you know, there's, there's times where as nations, we're going to have so much other nations will come because our storehouses are full and they're going to ask to have food from it, right? There's going to be times like that. And then there's going to be times when we have none. But in both of those times, you and I have a responsibility to understand that we are dependent on the Lord to meet our needs. In fact, look at the word, the verb that's used uh, right here in, um, in verse 11. It uses the verb give, God we are requesting your provision. It's where we say, Lord, I want what you want for this church. I'm, provide, I'm, I'm trusting in you to provide for the needs of this church. I'm trusting you to provide in my personal needs. I am trusting you with everything that I am. I just want to tell you, I think that sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we think, no, I just need to work harder. I need to try harder. I need to think harder. I need to plan better. I think that's what we do. But Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that transforms us. Do you see that? He teaches us to pray in a way that changes the world around us. Now, you know your needs better than I do. And again, in just a few moments, we're going to stop everything. We're just going to give you a quiet space to pray. Jesus gives us the green light. He says, you're moving from consumerism to contentment, but it is this place where your heart doesn't have to be anxious in prayer. I think sometimes we're anxious in prayer. I think sometimes we pray in a way that says, 
I'm, I'm looking for the jackpot. You know, I'm looking, I'm looking for that prayer to end all prayers. And Jesus is like, no, find that contentment today in me because I'm meeting your needs today. Finally, final point. We're going to see Jesus teach that we need to move from radical independence to repentant reconciliation. Radical independence is kind of Kind of cute, isn't it, when you got a two-year-old that says, like, mine, and says, like, I do it, you know, and that's pretty awesome, until it's not, you know, and it's like, no, I'm going to help you tie your shoes, you sit down, you know, and so it's this independence. Now, just think from our perspective, as, as grown people, what it would feel like toward God when we have this radical independence where we keep telling God we're going to do it our way. Jesus is getting ready to show you and I are supposed to repent. We slam on the brakes. We turn to the Lord and we follow his plans and his direction. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Period. The prayer just kind of ends right there. Like that, that's it. He keeps going in verse 14. says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in this last section of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus deals with our spiritual condition. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's not a debt like money. It's not saying, all right, Lord, you lent me 20 bucks. I don't have the money to give you 20 bucks. Can we just call it good? You know, it's not like that. This is the sin debt that we have. And unfortunately, I think this is such an issue because all of us have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from our heavenly Father. There's a void there. And you've seen it, and I hope you're not living this, but there are so many people that their answer to that separation between us and the heavenly Father is they just try to be good. I'm just going to be good. I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to fly right. I'm going to try to go to church when I can. I'll pray sometimes. I may not think about what I'm praying, but I'm going to pray sometimes, you know, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to be as good as I can. Now, see, that's a sinful individualism that you have. That's not what Jesus teaches us. Jesus teaches us to pray, to say, Lord, you're the only one who can forgive my debts. You're the only one through the power of Jesus on the cross, you are the only one who can forgive that sin debt. And in that place, you are going to experience so much freedom, such an incredible amount of freedom. In fact, so much freedom that you say, that person that hurt me, that person that injured me, that person who did that thing, they are in debt to me. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive them. Isn't that incredible? Like, that's where you and I get to go to. Now, if you look at verse 12, you could say verse 12 is praying for God to forgive our sins. If you look at verse 13, you could say this is where we're praying to God, saying we're trusting not just that you'll provide food for us, but we're trusting that you'll provide protection from future sin. Again, I think this is a struggle. I think what we often do is we look at the evil one, we look at Satan, and we say, no, I can do it. I'm a follower of Jesus. I can do it. I'm a Christian. I can just grip my teeth and make it. And there's that line, right? There's that line of temptation. I think what we do is we see how close can we get to that line. And inevitably, you know what happens, right? We cross that line. We sin, and then we go to God and go, oh, I can't believe I did that. Well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to try. When all along, Jesus taught us how we're supposed to pray about this. It's where you and I say, Lord, we need you. We need your protection from the evil one. We need you 
to bind him from here. Lord, we need help and fleeing from temptation because I know there's something in me where I constantly flirt with temptation, but I need to flee from temptation. Lord, we need you. Isn't this incredible? And then it's interesting, the prayer just kind of ends. It's kind of like, amen, and, and like mic drop, he's out. Like, that's it. That's all there is to, to the Lord's prayer. Like, that's all there is. But maybe, maybe you memorized the extended version, anyone like you, like, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, amen. Like, then maybe that's the version you learned. If you're going, why is that not in my Bible? Like, why? Why did I learn, like, this hijacked version? Where did that come from? And why does my Bible? Here's, like, let me just real fast. I'm going to give you the crash course on it. In 1611, the King James, the the Bible was translated into the King James Version. It was the first version in the English, right? So they translated the King James. And uh, the King James, if you've ever read the King James and you're like, why does it sound like Shakespearean English? It was translated in 1611. That's why it's just how people talked in 1611. They weren't trying to be fancy or highfalutin. Like, that's just how, that's how they talked back then, right? We have an order to our services. You've probably noticed, right? We'll do three songs. We'll do the offering. There'll be a sermon. There'll be another song, right? I don't have to give you anything that says, here's like the order. Here's what we're going to do. You know that's kind of what a normal service is. Well, in 1611, the normal way for the Lord's Prayer was to have the Lord's Prayer, and then there would be a doxology on the end. A doxology is an ending prayer, sometimes a short song. Sometimes it's sung. So in 1611, it was very normal for this doxology to be added to the Lord's Prayer. But when you go back to the early manuscripts, when you go all the way back to the Greek, when you go all the way back to the Hebrew the version that you're reading in your Bible would have been the original without the doxology. So that's a very fast crash course. But there it is. There's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? I'm going to teach you how to pray. So how are you doing with it? More specifically, how are you doing with that middle section? You see, I think all of us have been challenged. Let's spend some time this week figuring out how to declare who it is we're talking to. But how about that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are you doing with that? Because I think that's probably our biggest struggle. I do. I think sometimes we're dating that person and it's not a healthy relationship, but you're like, that's the last person on this road out of singleness. So I'm hanging on to it, Lord. I'm just going to hang on here. And sometimes we look at money And you're like, your kingdom come, your will be done. Yeah, but Lord, money was a weird thing for me growing up because we didn't have any, right? And so it's a weird thing. So I'm trying to hang on to this thing as tight as I can. Sometimes we look and we're like, that person wronged me. That person hurt me. And I know you want me to forgive, but I don't know that I ever can forgive. And so you hang on to it with everything you got. I know I said it last week, but I want to say it again. God's God's not really after this thing, or he's not after your money, or not after your boyfriend or girlfriend, or your kids, or your future kids, or if you're ever going to have kids. That, that's not what he's after. He's after your heart. This is a heart issue. We're not supposed to have any idols, any gods before him. Anything that you're placing above the will of God is an idol in your life. That's what this all comes down to. So how are you doing with this? How are you doing with prayer? Jesus teaches us how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
You know, earlier I asked, when you picture God, what do you picture? When you're praying, you know, how do you picture the Lord in your mind? There's a story, I actually just heard it this morning, uh, about this little boy, and he goes to his dad, and he says, Dad, how big is God? And so the dad looks up at the sky, and there's an airplane flying. He goes, well, son, how big's that airplane? He looks up there, he goes, it's not very big, Dad. This is just a little bitty airplane. He goes, all right, son, they go down to the airport. And they get out the airport, they get really close to one of the big jets. Hey, son, how big's this airplane? Oh, Dad, this plane is really big. He goes, son, it's kind of like God. The closer you get to him, the bigger you understand he is. That's, that's true for us, isn't it? The more we continue to bring our hearts and our lives into alignment with him, the bigger we understand our Heavenly Father to be, the more powerful we understand him to be. So, church, let's take some time this morning just to be still, uh, some time to pray. Uh, I would encourage you to pray for Pastor Brooks, for his wife Yoda, for the family. I would encourage you to pray for the leadership at Woodside. I would encourage you to pray for brothers and sisters sitting around you. Maybe you do have some needs that are weighing heavy on your heart. This is the time just to say, Lord, I'm trusting in you to provide like only you can because I trust you, because you are so big and you are so mighty and you are so good. Lord, I trust you. Whether the answer is yes, no, whether I don't hear anything back. Lord, I wholeheartedly trust you.